Welcome everyone to what's said to be a classic match here at the hallowed turf of the CMO Convo Stadium. At home, the mighty CMOs United are measuring up against their old rivals, Leadership Challenges FC, and what's set to be a true test of their abilities. The players are taking the field. Let's get ready for kickoff. If you're not a soccer fan or even a sports fan, don't worry. We might be starting with sport as our guest today is Adam Azor, EVP of Marketing of leading sports data and technology company Sport Radar. But that's just the first half. What we're really tackling today is the topic of third party cookies. 2024 is set to be the year that Google finally bids them farewell. Are you ready for one of the biggest shakeups digital marketing has ever seen? Whether you are or not, Adam has plenty of advice on not just surviving the change, but thriving in the new opportunities it presents. Hi, Adam. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Hey, Will. I'm doing good and looking forward to the conversation. Uh, very much, very much. I mean, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is having another British person on the podcast. It's a very rare thing that we have. So maybe we can confuse all our American viewers with lots of references to cricket and, and tea drinking and uh, which uh, which goes first, butter or jam on scones and stuff like that that we all like talking about. What, what's your thing? Which goes first in you, Will? Uh, I, I I, I like the cream first and the jam. I, I can't remember which way around that is, whether it's the Cornish way or the Devonshire way, but I know it is very contentious down that part of the world, part of the UK. What are you, yeah, Adam? I'm a, cream, I'm a cream first man always. Definitely, well. definitely. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. But that isn't the topic of the conversation today um, before the listeners get really confused. We're not going to be talking about scones all day. We are going to be talking about something that is very important to marketing leaders at the moment. And that is the end of first party cookies we've been talking about the third party cookies even sorry we've been talking about this what feels like forever but google have finally said that 2024 is the year that they're going away and what is next that's the big topic of this conversation but before we do get into that adam um maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience tell us a bit about your background and, and why this topic is such an important one for you Sure. Well, it, it's it's great to be here, Will. So thanks again for inviting me on for this conversation. So for me, I spent the majority of my career agency side, uh, working across brands such as Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Molson Coors, Qualcomm, and, and Sony before making the move to client side at, at Sport Radar. I've been here just over five years. Um, I lead the marketing function, and I'm responsible for product marketing, events, digital marketing operations, and our in-house creative studio. Um, it may be worth me just also just giving a little bit of flavor to Sport Radar, because unless you're in the sports ecosystem, you, you may not know who we are. But essentially, we are a industry-leading technology company that creates uh, immersive experiences for sports fans and bettors. And we're positioned at the intersection of sport, betting, and media. So to make that real, we essentially provide our clients and partners with technologies that enable them to deliver sports data and content to, to sports fans, be that via mobile phones, websites, digital channels, through to broadcast solutions, graphics, even the commentary notes uh, for commentators when they're uh, actually performing that on broadcast, OTT platforms, through to the sports performance. So that's the coaching, analytics, data science, uh, technology, and we're also leading the sports betting industry in regarding providing the technology and content and odds and trading tools uh, for that industry. And because we're positioned between um, sports data and betting, we also work on sports integrity. So we monitor all the activity and the betting patterns that we work for rights holders. And if there is an irregularity and for anti-match fixing, we'll report that and then work that case through. So we really do service across the sports ecosystem. And you know, finally, the area we've moved into is around marketing services, uh, specifically sorting that 
the sports ecosystem, which is leading to the conversation um, we're having today. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, it sounds to me like, yeah, cookies have probably been quite important to your business for a while. Uh, Forgive me if I'm wrong there, Adam. Yeah. And this is a topic I'm really interested to, to have a conversation around today, because for me, the removal of the third party cookies is arguably the biggest disruption to marketing since the rise of social media. You know, that's the scale of the change we're talking about here. And while it is being discussed to a certain extent, I also think it's been kind of flying under the radar for many across the industry. Now, my strong hunch is because it's more channel-led rather than creative-led, which means it's been on the minds of those technical experts who may be more in the background, you know, the ones who are really working to solve the problems and driving effectiveness, rather than necessarily being on front of mind for the rock star creative directors at the top ad agencies. And I think that's maybe why it's been percolating, rather being where I personally think it should be, which is at the forefront of the industry and thinking about what it actually means, rather than being a little bit more behind the scenes. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I suppose that probably leads quite naturally into starting off this conversation by really saying, what are third-party cookies? Let's lay down a bit of foundation here, because it is something that I think all marketers are aware of this thing of third-party cookies. And I, I think marketers of every level of seniority are guilty of this. They know what they are. They know a little bit of what they do, but they don't necessarily understand exactly how they feed into their marketing. So let, let's talk a bit about what third-party cookies have been doing um, and before we get into sort of like the implications of them going away. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's start firstly with first-party cookies or zero-party cookies as well. You can kind of bring them into that category. Now, those are the cookies which are placed on uh, channels, websites by the owner of that channel or that website where there is an acknowledgement, there is a, a value exchange. A really good example of that is somewhere like Amazon. When you are logged in, you have an account and you come on there and your cookies are from Amazon, it's used by Amazon and you know that you are doing that to drive your personalization and your preferences around that. Third-party cookies are cookies that are placed on a channel and area by a third party. So it isn't an Amazon. It isn't a meta. It is placed by somebody else who's then using that to drive essentially an underpin digital marketing and heavily programmatic advertising. And and cookies are essentially tiny little pieces of code. They're they're tiny trackers, which really have underpinned and and really facilitated the growth of of programmatic advertising. And a little stat or knowledge for the group who may not know. So third-party cookies were actually initiated in 1994. And maybe some people will show their age or recognize the preference, and it was on Netscape which at that time was the major browser. And it was a young engineer called Lou Montelui, who actually was credited with creating the first third-party cookie. And these really have underpinned and driven and enabled what is now essentially the modern digital marketing industry. And obviously that has evolved as technology evolved. And it is really interesting you see how much this is affecting because this isn't just a b2c issue obviously it's primarily affecting you know brands and businesses that do spend a lot on digital marketing which obviously is one of the biggest chunks but equally this affects b2b marketing you know, b2b2c marketing however you want to define yourself you know as someone at sport radar we're marketing a lot to businesses 
you know, we did an evaluation last year and about 30% of our BAU marketing is going to be affected by this change. And we are primarily, you know, targeting and marketing towards businesses. So it really is something that is going to affect, you know, the whole industry. And there has been a lot of anxiety, you know, around this and people wondering about what the impact around this is. But personally, I generally do think this should be seen as a positive and an opportunity for innovation. You know, I think... Personally, I think programmatic and third-party cookies have been fantastic for the development of marketing. I, When I first started the industry, I was still hearing quotes like half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The problem is I don't know what half, right? All the classic cliches of marketing and advertising. You know, ultimately, what, what cookies have done and third-party cookies, they start to drive in performance marketing. They've started to give accountability, attribution, tracking and measurement to really show how marketing can drive growth, right? Especially with the rise of e-commerce and the, the online shopping economy, where you're able to really track that through, but not just around online base, it is across the ecosystem. So yeah, third-party cookies programmatic has been really strong. And as of right now, it still is the most effective way to deliver and cut through. But equally, when you have something which is so reliable and it's giving that sort of marginal gains, the bravery for then changing and evolving, the desire isn't really there. And I'm not talking about creativity. I think there's been incredible, brave, interestingly constructed campaigns. But it's very hard when you know you have that marginal security and that safety net of what programmatic is delivering to someone to really then innovate and say, well, what comes next? And this is where I do think this is an opportunity for the industry to show this is how innovation technology has come through. You know, in the sports ecosystem, you know, for us, a really good example of that, if we've recently launched Sport Radar Fan ID, which is an end-to-end marketing solution, which is all around first-party data, first-party cookies. So it is solving the challenge of third-party cookies going away within the sports ecosystem for anyone connected to that. And for me, that's a really good example of an opportunity now to innovate and change and see how this is really going to drive further effectiveness moving forward. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into sort of like more of the the tactical strategic side of ways we can evolve in this cookie-less world that we're going to be moving into. But I guess one of the questions I have to ask then is why is Google getting rid of them? I, I, I can't imagine it's because they want to like just like open up the creative juices of all the marketers in the world. There's got to be some kind <laughs> of like reason that Google's doing this. Is it, is it to do with like data protection? Is that the reason? Because obviously there's been big increases in terms of regulations since third-party cookies were brought in. Is it because of that or is it maybe a bit more of a, a monetary reason for Google? Are they profiting from getting rid of third-party cookies, do you think? No, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, privacy has been one of the major drivers. And there's a few regulations, you know, different territories which have contributed towards that. So GDPR is one of them. Um, And also California's CCPA. There's also been regulations around why and people doing that. Also, you know, consumer attitudes to cookies have always been interesting and eclectic and people being kind of sometimes a little paranoid about what people know about it and how you see these different ads. If I've searched for shoes uh, for on you know uh, on Google, and then for the next week, all I see everywhere is shoes. And how does that all come in? But I think what's here to say is is it's at the moment Safari and Firefox have already made this change. Right, this has already happened. 
And Google originally announced that this would have happened back in 2020. So that was the original timeline of when this was actually meant to happen. But it has been delayed, uh, I think, probably around readiness in, in the industry and, and all the other side of things and that little thing called COVID that disrupted a few things along the path as well. But, you know, as you mentioned, this is now. So and, and realistically, the reason why we're talking about this focusing on us now is because Google does have roughly around 80% of the web traffic through Google Chrome. So while it has been removed from Safari and Firefox, it's really not until Google really does action this, then the, the industry has to take action. And look, technically, the whole thing could be further pushed back and delayed. However, in January, 1% of the third-party cookies across Google Chrome have already vanished. So that has been action now. So I think it's fair to say is that all the indicators right now looking that this is the time it is literally going to happen in, in 2024. But yeah, those are the, that's the main driver around where this change has, has initiated from. I suppose it's better to happen now than at any point previously in the past, because I, I think the ability for organizations to collect first party data is probably the best it's ever been in comparison to previous years. Um, it's kind of democratized now. So I think now is probably the best time for it to happen to marketers, really, because we can have these kinds of systems in place to collect the first party data, not, not just in terms of strategic things like you were talking about with the fan ID stuff, but also in terms of the actual technology that we have access to, the kinds of stuff that we can have in-house is a lot better than it used to be previously. So I, I think we are like, yeah, as you said, it is definitely an opportunity I think, for a lot of marketers out there. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of technological capabilities in terms of data collection at the moment. Um, are you happy with where things are? Do you think there's still more to be done? I think there's definitely still more to be done. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, Will, in the fact that you know every year that goes past, there is improvements in, in the technology. But the other thing I'd say, which goes hand in hand with the technology itself, and this is where, obviously, as the rise of first-party data is, is increasing is if what's the value exchange? What, what's the trust, right? So who am I giving my data to and why? And I think, you know, we are also dealing with consumers and people that also have more awareness of their data and, you know, expectation of what that actually it means if I'm going to give that over. And, you know, that's why I say I, I use the Amazon example. I'm someone who's, you know, happy to give my area because it really does personalize my experience and provides value for me when I'm watching my you know, Amazon video, I'm watching my Netflix, I'm giving my data, I'm, I'm hoping because it's improving that performance, you know, in sport. So why sport has always been such a driver with, within both marketing and, and the industry is sport has something which is very unique. It's that has that passional uh, connection with the audience, right? If you are a sports fan, you feel connected to your team or your league that you're following in a way that, yeah, I am handing over my data, I'm connecting to that, which is why brands have connect, you know, collectively spent billions over the years in terms of sponsoring and then activating in sport. So I think in addition to technology, it's also about the value exchange and what that's coming in. So I think those two things coming together are also then going to sort of drive what that first party uh, cookie, first party experience is going to mean. But also then, you know, the requirement is on marketeers and brands and businesses to make sure that that's living up to why people are giving their data, right? The promise has to also be there. Definitely. Um, and I think that um, level of awareness from consumers is only like to increase with like Gen Z and Gen Alpha moving into being the 
the the the buyer generation like they are very aware of their internet presence and how valuable that is to a lot of companies like i read a, an article years ago i can't remember where it was now but it was basically saying that the most valuable thing to amazon isn't necessarily the money you spend with them it is the data you provide to them that's what amazon makes a lot of its money from is that data and i think a lot of consumers are aware of that i think we've kind of gone through sort of three stages with like how people think about that privacy on the internet like we went through that sort of like fear phase where everyone was like oh don't share anything on the internet you don't know who's going to get hold of it to sort of passive pacificity like where people just like oh whatever just take my data i just want to be able to use it so now people have a real awareness of how valuable the data is and that kind of fair exchange is going to be incredibly important moving forwards for collecting any kind of data from users yeah so i completely agree well so um Obviously, first-party data collection is going to be incredibly important. Is that going to be able to fill the void that's left by third-party cookies? Are we going to be if you're able to ramp up your first-party data collections to, to enough of a state? Is it reasonable to be able to expect it to have the same capabilities as something you can do with third-party cookie tracking and stuff like that? So, I think firstly, let's let's look at the the, the scale of where this is coming to start with right so there was a wonderful report from from Dentsu which looked at 2023 in terms of it valued the global advertising marketing um value of around 720 billion so let's say 720 billion is this the scale of, of what global advertising is at the moment and it had programmatic around 290 billion of wow. that right so i think also there was a recent study from um adobe where it looked at you know 75% of marketeers are essentially really predominantly using third-party cookies, and about 45% of them are spending at least half their budgets on campaigns and activations based on those third-party cookies. So, so straight away, we, this is why, again, the scale of this change is so impactful. Um, so, you know, when it talks about what is going to leave, you know, create the void. I think absolutely. We are about to enter the era of first party data as the lead for marketing. And I think everyone recognizes that. And I think you made really good points about, you know, changing and emerging audiences and demographics. I think there's another really interesting support that came from Accenture. It's at roughly around 80, 83% of consumers are okay to share their data as long as they're going to get that personalized experience. So, what does that mean in regards to a first word economy? Well, then you need to have a strategy across all of those areas, right? So it is from the collection, then the connection, you know, the activation and then the orchestration around that. You know, those are the different areas around it. And you talked about that first part, you know, not to be underestimated, you need to be able to collect that data. And, you know, and again, I use sport as an example because it's a really easy one to kind of make that connection. When you're talking about sport and there is that emotional connection with an audience, the first part is a lot easier, right, in terms of handing over that data, making that connection. So that is a really easier way. And again, that's why brands have also been attracted to being involved in sport to start getting that part. And actually, again, it links back to what we've started to think about with Sport Radar Fan ID. If we really have built it around those four stages, which is starting with the data collection. So creating those services to collect the data and build that in. But then the connection part is, is super important about that change in that void. And, and this is where I think we'll, we'll dig in a little bit more about data clean rooms. So data clean rooms is a really essential component of this evolution, this change 
from a third party cookie economy to a first and zero party. Because the data key room is it's not a new technology. They've been around for a little while, but certainly not all data clean rooms are you know, created equal. And you know, when we what we're at Sport Radar able to do is we're able to focus in on one sector, which is sport. So what we've done at Sport Radar is we've built the first data clean room specifically for sport. So what that means is it's a technology that allows all the features and functionality of a data clean room. But it also is able to infuse it with, with sport radio, 20 years worth of sports data and data points, which is then enriching that data clean room to then be able to very contextual to sport. So you know, a good example, you're a, a soccer fan, if we're going to speak for our uh, American uh, audiences here, and your team has just uh, won a tournament and it's going to play a European team in another country. Not only will we know those, those things in real time, but we can then say, well, they may need plane tickets, they may need to go there. So we can then infuse all that data in real time instantly and target those people with contextual advertising in the same way that science do, but with a level of depth and richness based on the premises, based on the needs. And it's you know it's the very simple principles of marketing, right message at the right time at the right audience. So that data clean room is so important to delivering that, but that's that's phase one then you need to activate that. And that's when your marketing technology is, is coming into place. And again, we're, we're quite lucky at Sport Radio, we, we have our proprietary marketing activation technology, which is taking the data clean room, the anonymized data, and then activating it at scale. And that's a really important part. And that's what obviously what third-party cookies have really enabled is delivering at scale. So when you make that change to a first-party cookie economy, you don't want to lose the scale that third-party cookies have been facilitating. And that's where, again, that connection between the data clean room and the activation technology is so important. And then it's the orchestration, say, of delivering that to the right message, to the right audience at the right time. But, you know, this is where to get that move right, you really have to know the full, the full span, the end-to-end -end solution. You have to think about all those different component parts. But... If we start thinking about what that really means, this is why I actually generally get quite excited by this, right? If you think about what this change is going to a first-party cookie economy and powering these marketing solutions, you're essentially getting a level of depth and engagement with consumers or buyers that is historically been reserved for CRM. You know, so those longer term relationships with people where you understand their habits, right? And you understand how they're buying and interacting with you as a brand or a business. And then you can get really targeted to keep driving those loops or do further acquisition. What you're essentially doing with this technology, and this is why I say this should be seen as a really positive moment, is you're taking that level of sophistication, that level of understanding from right at the bottom of the marketing funnel, and you're moving it right up to the top. You're able to go at scale with a level of depth and personalization and contextual marketing, which has never really been able to do before. And this is where, again, if you're able to do it within a particular sector, it's where Sport Radar and the sports ecosystem, you're enriching it with that passional data of sports fans into really effective marketing solutions. So this is where I think the excitement should come about what can fill the void, because you know the chains are off now. It's a force. People have to move. They have to innovate. And this is what a wonderful opportunity to really say, not only are we going to look at the effectiveness, but then what does it mean for creativity? What does it mean in terms of coming up with really interesting, bold ideas that you're not actually going to get the message to the right people, but how can we take advantage of that with creative? Definitely, definitely. I think sport, the sport ecosystem, as you said, I think is a great, it's 
tricky to talk about as a microcosm because it is such a big thing, but they have the sports ecosystem. I think it's a great example of how this is going to evolve because sport, being a sports fan these days, by necessity, requires you to engage with a lot of different brands, a lot of different channels and stuff. Like sports fans, they're on Twitter a lot. They're on Instagram. They're on all these different channels where they interact, not just with the uh, the sports teams they support or the sport franchise they support, but also like the leagues that the, the uh, teams are involved with. They're engaging with the betting sites as well. They're engaging with all these different channels and stuff. So what... How how can you keep track of stuff across these different channels that you don't necessarily have control over anymore without third-party cookies? Like, how can you do sort of like omni-channel marketing effectively if you're not able to track people across different channels that you don't have control, you can't access the cookies for? Well, so I think the starting point for that, Will, is, is exactly the heart of what you said, right? And which is, it's the overarching battle for attention. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's your starting point. And, you know, there are so many options now for the modern audiences to spend their time. You know, the eyeball moments in, in channels and different types of content in different types of areas. And the thing about that is it's not only is there a number of areas where you can do that, there's also every time you have an interaction, you're resetting the expectations of what to expect. And, you know, every time there's a UX improvement in, you know, a broadcast streamer, then you think consumers aren't just thinking, well, okay, that's just in broadcast. It's like, well, then if I interact with another piece of technology, another channel, it has to be at that sort of standard. So firstly, you have this, this, this ecosystem around the battle for attention, how you're cutting through. But then to answer your question is then, well, then how do you then make relevance around that? How do I connect? And it should be about, and this is where the personalization, the contextual side really cuts through. So Knowing that you shifting behavior as marketers know is one of the most difficult things in, you know in in marketing and it is achievable but it's very very difficult. So the question then is when well how am I then creating value for that audience? How am I going to cut through in a, an omni-channel world? How am I going to do that? And you know I think everyone has recognised for a for a long time that the the personalization really is the absolute silver bullet that is cutting through whether that's about um, uh, modern consumers coming in have very different, you know, content and purchasing behaviours for older audiences. But the attention economy is such a difficult thing to do. But if you can make it relevant, you can make it personal. If you're adding value, it doesn't really matter where they're going, as long as you're able to do that curry. And that's again when you think about the the channel and the technology is ultimately that underpins things. Will and again, that's where programmatic has been so effective because no matter where people were going, it was identifying clusters and it was able then to market to them. It's the same principles, but then again, but how do you remove the wastage? So this is where, again, solutions such as Fan ID and other types of marketing will have to then look into is saying, well, how do I potentially look at maybe a category, maybe an area which is, yes, going to then be experienced across a number of channels, be that social media, be that connected TV, be that just traditional web, be that applications. But and how do I make sure that there is an interaction to that? And that channel agnostic approach is super important. And again, that's where, you know, when you talk about the data clean room, marketing activation technology, it doesn't matter where it is. The, the same process is aligned and the same opportunity to connect to that audience is there. 
And, you know, wherever technology goes, Will, right? We're at a, a wonderful period now where spatial technology and metaverse, if it comes in, if it doesn't happen, if Apple cracks the spatial computing web or not, it's just further opportunities where the foundational technology will then be realized. And I think that's the, the point we need to think about is this is what sits underneath, right? It's the, the foundations of the house. The exciting part is then what's going to be built on top of that and how are we then going to interact with them? Definitely, definitely. And just to continue with a bit more focus on the sports industry and how this is impacting it, um, I think like stuff around that, obviously time of recording, we're not far away from the Super Bowl, one of the biggest sporting events in the world. There's been millions and millions of people who are watching that. And they'll probably be watching their only bit of NFL, their only bit of American football that they might watch for the entire year. Like not just within the US, outside of the US as well. And if they're accessing some kind of streaming service or accessing some kind of way of watching that uh, event online, third-party cookies would have picked them up and have them logged as people who potentially like NFL, even though they might only be watching it for the halftime show, they might only be watching it for the ads even at halftime. Whereas this kind of deeper understanding where you're doing some kind of value exchange with a user to be able to get that data means that you're cutting through like the large swathes of people who might not ever be really interested in the product that you're providing in terms of sports radar. But by having that kind of like fan ID system where you're set up right from the off where you're engaging with the user and you're providing that value and getting that data back, these are the people who are going to be longer-term customers, I can assume, rather than just the people who are just dropping in just to watch the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday kind of thing. Like, it's that kind of an approach that you think is going to work a lot better um, moving forward in terms of how you're advertising or, ma or marketing even? Yeah, 100% Will. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that as, you know, everyone really talks about how much that the TV schedule going away from linear viewing has had such an effect on, on moments and advertising and occasion-based marketing in the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we, we had our set, TV schedule, you had your appointment to view, shows and entertainment, and you know those ad break, those moments were so vital, especially we didn't have the fragmentation of media that we, we have today. And now, you know, sport is one of those last bastions of occasions that are a fixed moment because of the school, the sports schedule. Right? So the Super Bowl creates a, a moment in time where advertisers have historically known that huge eyeballs are going there. And that is a moment to reach audiences en masse, and especially now with the way things are going, is those, those Super Bowl ads are then you know, organically spread across all the other online channels that then view that content. It's a huge moment around it. But you rightly picked out what is the absolute critical point is that's just one moment. Very expensive moment, especially if you're going to go above the line on broadcast. But the real success for businesses and brands is long-term marketing through those audiences right now yes there is a, a history of a sponsorship and brand partnerships in sport because back in the day it was like right okay that ceo might be a wonderful fan of soccer or basketball or hockey and we're going to then sponsor and then we're going to go to the grains and enjoy that but reality now in, in the way we are you know when businesses engage in activation they do it for a commercial benefit right so they have analyzed that the scope of that audience and they've analysed the asset and they're saying, how is that going to drive a commercial benefit for our organisation? How is it ultimately going to create a relationship and opportunity for sports fans to buy our products, products and services? 
that is what is driving that. And in addition to that, let's say that sponsorship moment, that that creating of that top of funnel awareness moment, the real success is kind of then how are you activating? How are you making sure you are driving a commercial outcome? And that's that's more from the brand side, but equally the rights holders themselves, like how am I driving value from our audiences? Because they have a slightly different um, commercial model, but they need to then drive sponsorship value for the brands who buy in. So it's still driving that economy. They're still needing to engage in those audiences. So the need is is both. And the question is, well, then how do you do that? How do you maintain those areas? And that's where historically, you know, third-party cookies and programmatic has been the go-to activation. And that's where I come back to then there has to be something which is going to solve that challenge. And really the heart of that is the data clean room, right? Realistically, that is the enabler for how you're going to start to drive that longer-term engagement, longer-term opportunity, as you say, not just from the live sport moment, but along the path. And again, maybe just to be clear for, for people about what you know a data clean, clean room really is, you know, a data clean room is a centralised and secure digital depository that allows for consensual, secure, and anonymised sharing of first-party data. And that is a really important point because it means that as a, a rights holder brand, I have complete protection of my audience and I can activate that audience without anyone else understanding the, the really details. But where the scalability comes in is the anonymized part if you can have multiple inputs and sources. So multiple leagues, federations, multiple broadcasters or media companies that they still have that anonymized privacy within the data clean room but what the technology is able to do is anonymously able to make sure it still develops the delivery of that individual to a marketing activation. So what it means is there's no wastage. So it's doing what third-party cookies are doing, but on a way deeper level. And that then is able to then, say, be enriched with sports data, with sports information, with other contextual data points which are related to the sports fan. So if you think if you're a sports apparel brand or if you're an airline, or if you're a fast food um, company, you think about the role that sports plays in your own economics. Whether that is, it's about travel to sport, whether it is about the different types of apparel, whether it is those pre-match or full-time delivery type uh, situations around it, how do you make sure that you're able to connect with that audience and deliver the right message at the right time, at the right scale? And this is where the data pyramid is really interesting when you're able to put it into a particular segment such as sport. So any of those brands or rights holders or agencies working you know, in partnership with them, they are able to make sure that the marketing is delivered in the most effective way. And you know, making sure we've seen the reason why this change is happening is around privacy, right? So privacy is absolutely fundamentally important. And again, as I say, not all data clean rooms are created equal. What we've done with Sport Radar Fan ID with our solution, it's 100% privacy compliant and it uses confidential cloud computing technology, which allows those fan profiles to be collected and connected and then delivered via omnichannel marketing activation in absolute security. You know, I... I've met a lot of marketing leaders and got into the conversations about data clean rooms because a lot of people have been thinking about data clean rooms over the last couple of years who, who are more progressive in looking at solutions. And the thing that was really the major stumbling block was privacy and protection of their data. 
And if you're a brand marketeer, if you're a rights holder, that's that's your liquid gold, right? As you talked about the, at the top, we're about the importance of good quality and clean data, but also making sure that you are protecting that. The privacy and the confidentiality of that data is critical. So that's where we made sure that it had to be embedded in our data clean room because otherwise it's not going to build the ecosystem across the sports industry to then create the scalability that we want. And that's what everyone has recognized. And again, because of the, the inertia coming from Google, it's forcing people to start taking this action, which again is only going to be a good thing because it is that starting point foundation and that foundation. And then being able to deliver it at scale for activation, you really will. If you're a you know, a consumer, you wouldn't really even know the difference. You're still going to get delivered areas. You're just going to get a level of richness, a level of contextual, which is going to be so relevant to you that hopefully, ultimately, the conversions are going to be improved. That's you know, really, you know, if you get a better message to the right audience at the right time, you cut through the noise, ultimately, you're going to get success at the end of it. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, so when it comes to data clean rooms, just to clear things up in terms of the practicalities, sounds to me it's like a combination of technology and process there are there any like plug it and play solutions around at the moment to be able to build this kind of facility into people's tech stacks or is it something you've got to try and work out with sort of what's available at the moment no the scale of the scale of it is it's it's a big chunky piece of technology yeah. well so it is something that you will need to work with a partner to deliver and and, and that again it is wrong it's it's a scalable modular approach in terms of how you then want to execute about it but quite simply, if if you're a brand, if you're a rights holder, if you're an agency, you need to be thinking about what your solution is going to be for, you know, once this third-party cookie has crumbled, what is going to be the solution around it? So again, and this is the one area around which is the biggest change. If you think what programmatic was able to do on, on a third-party level, obviously it had huge level of multiple categories, right? So it's a ubiquitous area to look at certain segments and target groups. So the change is going to start to be really thinking about those audiences. What is the products or service or what are we trying, the buyer or the person we're trying to reach and really understanding that segmentation and how do we then deliver that to that person? So that is a change. So again, that's why we're in a fortunate position. We have a category like sport, which means a great deal to a large number of people, which is a very rich, look, I say it's a category of sport. I'm talking about the sports ecosystem well, right? And if you think about how many leagues and teams and all the brands that are connected to that, that is a pretty material ecosystem of people already invested and connected to sport and those audiences. You know, and sports fans are people and people buy a variety of different things. So, you know, that's really the change that is going to come in, Will. And if you need to take advantage of that, you do need to work with someone that's going to be able to guide you through those areas. And it there is, it's those four stages, Will. It is data collection, data connection, activation, and then orchestration. Those are your four pillars. And ultimately, you need to, if this isn't on your list of priorities as a marketeer right now, it needs to be at close to the very, very top because of how broad and how much of a change this is. And, you know, this is the thing. Marketing and advertising is a very resilient industry. What I'm not suggesting, I don't think there's going to be a big material increase or a big material decrease in marketing spend. The question is going to be about the attribution of where that spend goes. I'm going to say, you know, you've had that wonderful safety net of programmatic marginal gains, very effective. Now, you know, when people are planning campaigns and thinking, how do I connect to that audience? Not only is it right, 
do I need to maintain that digital app implementation to an audience? Because we know that's working. How do I maintain that continuity of service? But equally, it's then, well, then how does that connect potentially to you know, digital out of home? How does it connect to my social media content strategy or my PR strategy or even my experiential strategy? It's like, how are those things coming together and how is it all working? Because, you know, like I say, for the best part of two decades, third-party cookies have been delivering a golden era of marketing effectiveness that has been a foundation for brands and businesses to go through you know, glorious growth across the globe. We need to ensure that if you want to continue doing that, how do I have the right tools and services to do that? And if you are connected to sport or you're a brand interested in sport, Sport Radar Fanity is one great example of how you can continue to do that. If you're not in sport, I would urge you then to think, well, then what else am I doing? How do I connect with these audiences given the complications and challenges around it and then is there a potential niche that we operate in or a category that we operate in that can also do a similar service as well adam like that was a really fantastic summation of what we've been talking about and i I do really want to like leave it there but i did want to ask about the impact on agencies as part of this whole process like we've touched on it a little bit but i think we mainly focus on sort of client side here but what position an agency is going to have in this world, particularly media and programmatic agencies? Like, are they still going to exist in their similar in their current form? Are they going to have to adapt? And like, how are you expecting to work with agencies in a cookie-less world? Like, what, what's your thinking? What do you want from them? So, so f- firstly, to answer your question, are agencies still going to exist? Yes, they are absolutely will gonna gonna exist. So your second point, will they have to adapt? Absolutely, they're gonna have to adapt. And uh, you know, what I would say is I've been lucky enough. I, I, I speak from someone who did a very long part of my career working agency side. Um, so before making the move, as some would say, to the dark side, becoming a client. Um, <laughs> so I do see it on both sides. And I think, look, there are a load of brilliant forward thinking, especially you know, media agencies that, you know, for the last decade have embraced, you know, econometrics in the right way, really understood how to connect with the audience and looking at different level of channels and fragmentation, delivering solutions. but. If you think about how major brands work, ultimately, you know, they will work in game planning with their agency team. You know, generally the, you know, the media agency, the ad agency, actually digital, PR comms agencies, events activation agencies, and they'll look at a game plan. They'll look at the audiences, the commercial targets, and they will then start to look and plan how we're going to deliver what we need to do to achieve those goals. Most of the time, it is driven heavily on the channel basis by the media agency because they are the ones that generally own the channel strategy alongside the clients and the marketing areas. And yes, there's a lot of insight and technology around doing that. I think that isn't really going to change in terms of the overarching process and how agencies come in. I think what is absolutely critical for agencies themselves is, is some of the things we were talking about before is based on what that client, what that brand, what that business is. Who are the audiences we need to connect to at what time? And if we know where the most effective way of spending marketing dollars or pounds or euros, how do we make sure we are cutting through the noise and using the right solutions to do that? And I think what this is, is it is an opportunity and you know, agencies, media agencies, ad agencies, clients, everyone needs to really look at their commercial and business objectives See who is the audiences, what is the insight we know about it, and how are we then going to deliver that? You know, Sport Radar Fanity, again, as an example, 
is designed for agencies, brands, and rights holders. It is a system designed for the entire ecosystem. If in you're in sport and you're trying to connect in sport, that is a great way to connect and a great solution. So an example for them, if I'm a media agency and I'm working on behalf of a sports apparel brand or a broadcast that has sports content or somebody I know there is an occasion or sport is driving revenue, my one call out is, well, think about how for the last two decades and plus we have been able to effectively target those audiences using third-party cookies. The call out would be is if that is going away, we need another effective solution that is still going to deliver and ideally you know, improve that situation. We don't just want to replace it, we want to improve. And that is good for everyone because what it means is the agencies are able to improve their metrics and their effectiveness to their clients. Hopefully it means that the advertising and creative agencies of the world are able to deliver really interesting, bold, creative work, which again is going to cut through to the audiences. And from a client's perspective, they're continuing to deliver the results of what marketing investment is there to do. So I think it is just that understanding, that embraceiveness. And, and you know, the reverse of it is if you don't do that, Will, if we're not taking this opportunity to change, the reverse of all those things will happen. And that's where the issue will be, right? If you think about agencies that have great longstanding relationships because they've been using things effectively, if they're not able to deliver that, ultimately that means that the clients are not going to get the results they need and they'll have to then start looking at other solutions. So I think, again, anyone connected to this ecosystem, whether you're a rights holder, whether you're a brand, whether you're an agency, it's a time to really evaluate your strategy, what are the solutions you have in place, how are you making sure you're delivering the best marketing to another, the best chance to then deliver commercial return for the audience? And I say, if you're involved in sport, I think it should definitely take a look at Sport Radar Fan ID. I'm a little bit biased, Will, but I think it generally is something that makes me smile every day when I get to talk about it because, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about it to the industry. And as a marketeer, it's solving problems that have been waiting to be solved for far too long. Definitely, Adam. Yeah, I think that that's the note to end up right there. That that's really, really, um, yeah, definitely worth checking out the the fan ID stuff. Um, not just if you're involved in sports. I think one of the best things for marketers is to see what other industries are doing, what other verticals are doing, and um, seeing how those solutions can apply. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for your time, Adam. Like as as I've said, like this is something that has been percolating for a long time. This end of cookies on Google, but I think I'm, I'm going to be honest. This is probably the best most clear depiction of a cookie-less world that I've actually been able to encounter. So yeah, it's been really useful for me. I'm sure it'll be really useful for the audience as well. So thank you very much, Adam. Oh, thank you, Will. It's a real pleasure to come onto the show. I've listened to the show for a while and it's really great to, to be a part of it. So thank you once again for inviting me to be on. Oh, that's great to hear. But yeah, thank you, Adam. I wouldn't have a show without people like yourself listening to it and being willing to come on it. So yeah, thank you very much. And thank you very much, very much to the audience as well. Like, uh, yeah, obviously this is a big deal for marketers and marketing leaders right now. But as I said, I think this is probably one of the most clear, well thought out depictions of what a cookie-less world can look like that I've encountered. And I hope it's the same for you as well. But we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.